today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group. From workforce to broadband, Inside Delaware's focus is for the year ahead, plus connecting the unconnected and putting big money behind it in North Carolina. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world, and you'll learn about the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Delaware is continuing on its journey to connect the state's residents. It's part of a cohesive journey that spans from recruiting and retaining the state's workforce to investing in digital services to securing the state's systems. Jason Clark, the state's CIO, tells me how he threads it all together. Uh, When I think about the three things that we really need to wrap up and be well prepared for as we go into the next year, um, workforce obviously being one of those primary topics, Uh, We have a large initiative uh, to get prepared for in the context of how we will deploy cybersecurity as a whole of state type of approach, uh, as well as our digital government initiative, uh, which includes a a number of uh, efforts that ultimately culminate in connecting more homes, doing more business online than in line, uh, and those sort of things. So those those three areas, I would say, are our primary uh, focus areas as we kind of close out this year and really prepare for uh, ramping up and, and moving forward in, in 24. Tell me a little bit about sort of the, the work that you're doing when it comes to workforce. Uh, you mentioned sort of positioning the state for that whole of state cyber approach. Uh, what goes into that? What are some of the things that you're working on there? Yeah, so I think for uh, workforce where we're, we're really focused is uh, dealing with some of the basics, uh, starting with the basics around job descriptions. You know, we have things like computer operator one, you've heard all of these war stories from state, local government uh, job descriptions. They just don't resonate. They don't attract resources. They don't make them aware of the positions that we have available. Uh, And then the next thing is kind of really dealing with the new generation of workers that's coming in. Um, People aren't necessarily looking for a 30 year career uh, as they embark on their next job. Uh, They don't necessarily appreciate, uh, especially depending on their age range, uh, a pension type system uh, that they would work in and work towards. So we're really trying to work around uh, some of those basics, making sure that we're in a position where people know the jobs that we have. Uh, I think a key piece to that is also kind of standardizing and automating some of the work that we do. So really standardizing around the jobs themselves, breaking them into smaller chunks, um, make it more about the role and not the person. Uh, people who've been in a career like this, uh, I myself, 15 years, I've worn a number of different hats uh, in this agency over that time. I've had the ability to evolve, be engaged in a lot of different projects. And, uh, you know, I keep a little piece of each one of those as I move forward uh, in my next uh, position here. And there's no one-to-one replacement when you lose a person like that. Um, so that institutional knowledge walking out the door is is difficult. And when someone's wore multiple hats, you got to figure out, well, if I can't bring in five people to replace that, uh, how do I break up that respond, those responsibilities so that, that it's a little bit more easy to manage as we move forward? I think um, standardizing on, on some of the, the processes and, and how we do work is important, uh, especially if we're going to be in a position where we're uh, potentially working with candidates or employees who may only want to stick around for two, three, four years. Uh, you don't want to spend six, nine months onboarding them because you have uh, snowflakes throughout the pro- uh, and, and different um, approaches, you know, depending on who your mentee uh, that you get assigned to in that onboarding process is. So we really need to standardize that work uh, across the board, help reduce some of that time. That's less time that, that or I should say more time that we get out of a resource uh, for when they're with us. And then kind of automating um, 
much as, as much of the work as possible so that we can kind of generate some bandwidth back into the teams that we have. Uh, state government is not usually a big fan of adding workers to the workforce. You know, it, it always uh, well, it resonates in the form of, of additional tax uh, expense, um, larger budgets, all of those things. But yet we want to be on the front end of being able to meet the expectations of our citizens. And that's not always having someone in a brick and mortar anymore, right? That that's changed significantly over the time. We haven't scaled the back end as well, and uh, we got to figure out how to build bandwidth in with with the resources that we have. The the other thing I might mention is um, keeping the workers kind of connected to the output. Um, for me, that's a big thing here lately. I never really thought about it as much until the pandemic hit, but as we support kind of remote and hybrid work. Um, we have individuals who are at home in a, in a closed off room, not necessarily uh, working with their partners, um, with their team members, that there's that dependency on one another is not as vivid and emotional as it is when you're face to face. And so uh, you lose that team camaraderie, but then you also kind of lose that aspect of I'm working a particular item. What is the output of that item? Um, so we tend to be a lot behind the scenes in the roles that we perform from a technology services standpoint, but we support our partners who are in turn delivering some service to the residents and visitors of our state. And uh, each thing that we do makes a difference. And so we need to uh, make sure that we're still tying those things together and, and keeping people engaged. It's such an interesting uh, take. And I think you, you covered a lot of ground there on workforce that I think is a super interesting point. Um, I heard someone say uh, just the other day in an interview um, that, that instead of going for connectedness in a hybrid world, they're going for vibrancy, which I think is really interesting because it sort of reflects the, um, the, the different pieces of what being connected in the workplace means. Uh, so that's really, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I think, I think it can be oh, easy to yeah. forget who's yeah. depending on the technology to work, right? Right. And, and that's right. the key piece. So. Well, and how are you, how are you, how are you doing it? How are you showing folks that impact? Is it, is it just extra, more proactive communication? Is it, uh, you know, yeah. How, how are you maintaining that, that engagement? Well, you know, you always hear uh, celebrate the wins and things like that. Uh, that can be easier said than done uh, in some cases, but really being able to tie our efforts to some outcome. Uh, so there's a number of services that get released. Uh, we have uh, you know, rebate check programs. Uh, we, we work very closely with law enforcement. We work with our natural resources department. We recently had a picnic uh, kind of celebrating our staff and, and thanking them for their efforts, kind of an appreciation picnic. And uh, we held it at one of our state parks. And we do the payroll for every individual that was working at that park. Uh, we run the network uh, for that park. Um, the voice solutions that service that park uh, I mean, the list goes on of the tools and services they leverage that we either host, support, or manage in some way, even though it's not all the way to the customer. And so we just try to draw those parallels uh, when we have the opportunity and to point them out so that they can kind of see that connection. Let's pivot a little bit to to the digital government piece. And, you know, this is something that's been on Delaware's to-do list for, for many, many years. Uh, tell me a little bit about some of those latest initiatives and, and what uh, what, what's coming, you know, down the pike? Yeah, I think for Delaware, we've, uh, we've been really fortunate. We have a lot of agencies who have been extremely proactive in making their services available online. Uh, I think our focus with respect to digital government is how do we make that experience consistent for our uh, residents and visitors 
that, that require those services. And so for us, that's starting with a single sign-on solution, um, uh, one set of credentials that will access a number of services. Uh, that's, that's one component. Uh, we're building off of that single sign-on, kind of integrating with some of the knowledge-based and identity proofing uh, products that are out there for those who need a little bit more validation or authorization uh, that the individuals engaging are who they say they are. Um, we are uh, we're in the works to put together kind of a portal, uh, which will essentially be our app for kind of select services throughout the state that are either high volume uh, or, or services that kind of need to be revamped and just currently reside on older technology. But then we have a lot of services. Uh, we have a new taxation system, for example, that just recently went in. Uh, we're not gonna be in a position to rewrite that. There's no need to rewrite that, but we need to be able to integrate it with it in ways that uh, make sense for our public. And so the key for us is kind of putting together this portal that will uh, allow our citizens to kind of navigate government utilizing the technology that, that is available. And so those integrations are a key part uh, to our uh, digital government initiative. The other piece for us is, so if you kind of check in or, uh, through single sign-on, the big thing is checking out. And so uh, implementing a payment portal uh, and a payment service solution that can be consumed by all the applications is key for us as well. We partner with our Office of State Treasury here in the state who uh, has managed kind of point of sale devices in, the, in those banking relationships over time. Uh, and we're working towards having kind of a, a single experience so that, that when folks check out, they know where they checked out from, they, they can almost have that shopping cart experience that they're accustomed to uh, in their private uh, engagements. When you talk about digital services, whether they're internal to government or external to to the to the residents, uh, connectivity is such a huge part of that. Delaware has been, you know, sort of on its broadband journey since as long as I've been covering Delaware, uh, and and you know, bef even before the pandemic, your governor sort of made a, a a plan to to eliminate you know the the unconnected uh, areas of the state. Um, Tell me how it's going. Obviously, there's some new funding on the table now, uh, post-pandemic, for things like broadband. So, so where are you in that journey, and and what are some of the latest things that are that are underway? Yeah, so uh, I think part of the digital government is that connectedness that you describe. Uh, we have two initiatives I would uh, point out that are key in that process. One is around accessibility. Uh, the pandemic really exposed a number of audiences that not only we need to engage with. Uh, but that we need to find alternate ways of meeting them where they are. Um, and in our state, that turned out to be a lot of the rural areas uh, that were not connected with broadband. And so uh, broadband has been a key driver for us even prior to the pandemic. We are fortunate as a state, we're about 97% of our residents and uh, addressing that we have throughout the state has access to a wireline type service uh, for, for fiber-based broadband. And uh, what we're looking to do is to close that gap. So we have, uh, we, we believe around 12,000 addresses left in our state. So we're getting down to that bottom of the barrel kind of uh, location driven um, uh, pieces that, that, that many states probably wish, right? That they were at. We don't have the challenges that many states have. We have soft soil. We don't have major mountain ranges, rivers, any of those things to cross. Um, we're, we have all the ingredients in with the infrastructure Jobs Act, the ARPA funding, uh, we've been well positioned to kind of drive forward. And so right now, uh, of those 12,000 addresses, we have about a little over 4,000 of them that are being currently connected uh, with ARPA funds, kind of from the state and local federal relief fund. And we've also uh, 
placed our applications for the bead funding under the Infrastructure Jobs Act. And so we're pursuing both of those in addition to uh, monitoring the uh, Rural Development Opportunity Fund that was administered uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, and we're also very engaged and have our application in and been awarded for planning dollars around our digital equity effort. Uh, because we know as we start to connect more of these homes, we also need to educate them on whether or not they need a device, one, but uh, two, you know, how, how they engage online, uh, how they secure themselves, and just all those components that come with being kind of a first-time user uh, in, in, the, uh, in the broadband spectrum. I want to follow up on that point just just uh, real quick before we wrap up. But uh, the you know it's the idea of of having certainly getting the access to the broadband, right? Having one hundred percent of your residents be able to access the the connectivity. But then, you, just like you said, you you encounter challenges of usability. Uh, you encounter challenges of affordability, um, and 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 of the not not just physical barriers to that access of broadband, but but financial and, and other barriers to getting access to that. How are you looking at some of the next steps in the broadband uh, in the broadband journey? So, uh, you know, it's it's interesting because the uh, Infrastructure Jobs Act, uh, for as challenging as the process is to apply for the funds, it's ex the challenge comes in how prescriptive uh, it is. And one of those areas that I think is good for us is the definition of the stakeholder community. Uh, and so it's been very clear uh, who we need to engage with, uh, which communities we don't traditionally engage with that we need to bring into the fold and have conversations with. And it's really been um, an enlightening experience in the context of what people have access to. I think sometimes we, we may not have given enough credit to our citizens, right? They engage in a lot of services online today. Um, the difference is, will their area support that engagement? Um, and so we have a, a decent amount of, uh, of work that has transpired there. But I think the digital equity is a, is a nice component to the overall broadband initiative uh, because it, it, it extends beyond the rural areas. Um, as you said, you know, we have areas uh, where affordability might be the issue. They may have access to two or three different internet service providers, but they couldn't afford it. Well, now they have the affordable connectivity program under ACP. Uh, and we've been promoting that very heavily. We've partnered with a couple of nonprofits to help with that because that is a requirement of the homeowner or the, the addressee, right? To engage in that process, to be qualified and to move forward. Those extra steps are things that they've not necessarily participated in before. And so we're offering a lot of coaching in that space so that we can get them online and we can get them the appropriate education. Uh, and if necessary, kind of incorporate in our plan devices and other other components uh, to getting them online safely. But when we talk in a year, right, a year, a year from now, uh, what do you want to have gotten done? What do you want to make sure is checked off of that to-do list? Well, as it relates to broadband, I'd really like to be in a position where we've been awarded, our plans have been accepted, and that we have our marching orders and a, and a path that can be executed upon. I think that'll be key. It will take uh, even with only 12,000 addresses left, uh, it, it could take a couple of years to actually fulfill and, and make those connections. Um, and there'll be a lot of nuance that appears in, in that as well, right, that, that needs to be uh, addressed. Um, from a digital government perspective, uh, really seeing our agencies come on board uh, to recognize the value of that user-centric design that will ultimately provide an experience that people are comfortable with, that they start to trust in more, right? And that they feel 
that they have a place to go where they can get access to services. Um, and it just makes it easier. I mean, at the end, I'd like to be able to kind of do a poll and, and really understand from those individuals who have consumed the service one way and now consume it a different way, have we improved the process? I think those would be some, uh, some key items for us along the way. And, and as it relates to uh, people, um, <laughs> you know, being able to retain as many as possible. So uh, we, have a, we have a lot of initiatives in, in play. We've been uh, discussing a lot across the state. It's not just the Department of Technology that's been impacted by this. Um, I mean, our vendors, everyone is kind of talking about this. Less for them probably on, a, on recruitment, but more on retaining people as they transition from one location to uh, one, agent, one uh, vendor to another. Um, but, but really being able to uh, accommodate this hybrid environment in a way that shows that we can onboard a person, that we can be, keep them accountable for the, for the tasks that we hold them to, uh, and then deliver on the products that we're responsible for. Jason Clark, Chief Information Officer for the state of Delaware. You can read more about him and broadband at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. North Carolina is also heavily investing in making sure that the state's unconnected residents have access to affordable high-speed broadband. The state is reallocating $1.2 billion in funding from the American Rescue Plan to broadband initiatives. Jim Weaver, the state's CIO, tells me how they're tackling the problem and what's next on their to-do list. We're very proud here in North Carolina. Um, we very strongly feel that North Carolina has the most comprehensive, best broadband plan across the country. Um, and I'm very fortunate to have a governor who is a big champion of broadband here in North Carolina and, and recognizes the need and the essential aspects of broadband, if you will, to get all North Carolinians connected here in our state. Also very fortunate the General Assembly also recognizes those values as well. So there, there is no political division, if you will, uh, between the governor and the General Assembly. We, there's a combined effort here to get North Carolinians connected. When we look at the fact that we have over 1.1 million households in North Carolina today that lack access to high-speed connectivity, that, that's very troubling. Um, and, and so the governor's plan really was focused around a couple of core areas. So first and foremost, we know we need to build out infrastructure. We also know we need to make it affordable. And we also know that we need to have digital literacy um, opportunities here for, for individuals likewise to, to get connected or once they are connected to get on, on the internet. And that's through education, that's through device availability, uh, cyber training, uh, those types of aspects. But first and foremost, governor's plan uh, looked at um, reallocating $1.2 billion of um, ARPA funds specifically for broadband. And as I was coming to North Carolina, the governor made it very clear to me that broadband was my number one priority. Um, that he felt very strongly about the, the need for North Carolinians to get connected. And he's 100% correct on that. We've seen that firsthand. Um, so part of that is we have, we were looking at $600 million in the governor's plan to be set aside to focus on infrastructure build out. We were looking at around $400 million of that plan being looked at to help um, offset the cost of internet. So if you keep in mind, this was at the beginning of the EBD program that the FCC was running or Treasury, excuse me, I think it was at the time, which is now the Affordable Connectivity Program. And then we were also looking at how do we go ahead and start creating that uh, and addressing the, in, the inequity that exists across our state, looking at device availability, looking at training and really interacting with community stakeholders 
and those grassroots campaigns that are necessary to support this kind of, a, of an investment at the local community level. Our legislature came back and, and gave us a little bit north of a billion dollars. And, and a lot of it was, as you can imagine, focused on infrastructure build out. So we have our great grant program, which is $350 million, of which today we have awarded $270 million of that money out across 93 counties, which will result in over 109,000 households getting connected and over 3,600 businesses getting connected. So again, trying to get back and address that 1.1 million household area, hopefully we're hitting over 10% of that here with this first round. Now, that 270 million also comes with around 150 million of supplier or telecom partners investing in North Carolina as well. So it's, there, there is a matching component there, if you will. So it's not $270 million that we're just pushing out with no strings attached. There are very much um, points of accountability in that regard. Um, we have 400 million set aside for what we call our continuing access to broadband. These are opportunities for us to work with our county and local government partners as they look at doing things within their counties, leveraging ARP funding, we're able to come alongside and cost share and cost allocate with them um, and, and helping to streamline that process for them. We have $90 million set aside for fixed wireless programs or stopgap programs, I should say, but fixed wireless is probably in the biggest part of it. We know with our ge geography in our state, the, the ability to run fiber everywhere is not gonna be possible. So we're, we're gonna have to look at those niche solutions that fit in a particular geographic location, whether it's wireless technology, whether it's low earth orbiting satellites or whatever the case may be, we have a myriad of tools in our toolbox to go ahead and kind of address some of that. We also had $100 million set aside um, in, that, in the amount that the General Assembly gave us for pole replacements as well. Um, I, I know that kind of sounds like pole replacements, but as you know, <laughs> poles need to get replaced. So this is completely a reimbursement program after a supplier does their work, they are eligible to come in and we can go ahead and do reimbursement. As part of the billion dollars the General Assembly authorized for us, we also had $50 million. Uh, they recognized the importance of digital literacy and enablement and allocated $50 million over the four years for us to go ahead and develop some programs across the state to drive home the literacy and enablement and start helping to drive the digital inequity. So here in our state, um, we, we know that 76% of white households are likely to be subscribing to high-speed internet. And we're gonna define high-speed internet as 100 down, 20 up. So we're not talking about um, moonshots here. Uh, and, and you know, since Artemis just launched finally. Um, but anyway, 76% of white households, that number goes down to 68% Latino for Latino households. That number goes down to 64% for African-American households. Our Native American partners, that number goes down to 58%. So the governor has challenged us to get that number up to 80% across all racial subdivisions. That's our focus area. The other challenge he gave us was to look at households with children, school-aged children. And that number, we can't, we can't miss that number. That's 100%. 100% of households with school-aged children need to get connected. Um, and, and so those, these are the target measures that we're looking at right now. Now, as we look at the 109,000 households that, sorry, my lights just went out. Uh, if we look at 109,000 households that are, are in scope for the original 270 million, what we now need to do is start to look at the, the composition of those households and how, how many of those target measures are we actually uh, hitting as we look at it across the board. So we're going to be leveraging various data sources to try to bring that together. We're excited about the FCC mapping exercise that um, I think is getting released today if it hasn't already. 
um, and take a look at that because we want to be able to overlay our data sets on top of what the FCC has been doing. And hopefully now we can get to a different outcome because what we really want is data-driven decisions here as we look at investments in North Carolina across the board. Um, we just announced earlier uh, last month, it was actually, just I keep forgetting it's November already, uh, but back in October, we, as, as part of the $50 million, we have 24 million set aside, really focusing on digital equity opportunities. And what we did was 10 million of that, we made available for state agencies. So state agencies can come in through various programs that they are responsible for and apply for a grant against that $10 million to help promote the device reusage, digital equity opportunities, things of that nature. And so state agencies in North Carolina also includes higher ed. I, I probably should add that in there as well as, as the community colleges. We, were, we had 42 applications for $42 million worth of opportunity. Uh, we've got $10 million. So we're gonna have to go through and score them um, and, and get that out the door, but we're very excited about that. But then this, round two of this is we have 14 million set aside to go out across our community partners and do a similar exercise and see what we can start doing in that neighborhood as well, just help drive um, digital equity um, and, and device availability and those types of things for our, our residents here in the state. So we're really excited about um, those kind of programs that are there. The other thing we're really excited about is our affordable connectivity program numbers. Um, we continue to work with our providers here in the state of North Carolina to get people enrolled. Um, we were really worried at this at the outset that, and that's the reason the governor had the money set aside for affordability. Um, we weren't sure what EVB was going to turn out into, and we were really concerned when EVB went from a $50 subsidy, if you will, down to a $30 subsidy. Um, we're, what we're seeing now is that we are getting North Carolinians here registered. Our providers in our state are, are honoring the intent by the Biden administration to have a $30 plan for, for all eligible people. And we're up to around uh, 606,000 households now registered for that. Now, we, we have a long way to go yet. We're just barely over the 50% mark, we think, in, in that regard. But at the same time, we also know you can't really enroll for a program if you don't have connectivity in your neighborhood as well. So we, you know, it's kind of, we have to work this in hand in hand a little bit, but we're very excited about the fact that we're seeing modest jumps from week to week of more and more households getting enrolled in these programs. And so we know we're starting to get value and we're starting to drive some things in North Carolina a lot differently and, and getting our residents connected, our businesses connected, and more importantly, our students are getting connected as well, because we know a sound education is the basis for a career. That's great. Uh, Jim, you covered so much ground in broadband digital equity. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about your other priorities. I know that that's number one, uh, but as you look toward 2023, you know, what's top of mind? What can we expect from North Carolina in the in the coming year? Well, we're really, um, we really want to take a good look at digital transformation here in our state as well, right? How do we deliver services and how do um, North Carolinians consume services from us as government? And when I talk about government, again, that's state, that's local, um, that's all of us here, right? And this is not a technology issue as much as it's a people process issue. Uh, so if you think about the use cases that are out there, we want to change that paradigm from, an agency indicating these are my services that are online. This is how you can, can, can come, come consume me. Excuse me, I'm a little tongue tied there. As opposed to I'm the resident of North Carolina and this is what I'm interested in um, and, and make it about me as the individual. So I think we have a lot of exciting opportunities to do that. But, you know, again, going back to what's the first thing you need? Connectivity to make that happen. The next thing you need to focus on, cyber. 
Um, and, and so you, you will see a lot of um, potential investments and looking at how we do cyber a little bit differently here in the state of North Carolina. Uh, we're, we're, it's really awesome that we have our joint cyber task force here that the governor formalized under executive order 254. Um, they, they're immensely invaluable. Um, my agency is one of the four um, participating members of, of that joint cyber task force, but we got a lot of um, great resources here in North Carolina to really be our incident response force um, as needed. And then more importantly, be able to go out across government and do penetration testing, vulnerability assessments, and those kind of things to really help increase the awareness and enlightenment of, of cyber um, in our communities. The next area you're gonna see some things on from us is it's around privacy. Um, and you know our state's chief privacy officer, Sheree Givens will be on board now for about a year. Um, we're coming up now with our, in January will be our next long session here with the General Assembly. We're really excited about looking at how can we start doing some privacy programs, starting to get those um, embedded and etched into the culture here in North Carolina and really having uh, cyber and privacy working hand in hand um, and again, looking at the outcomes here, because as we continue to evolve and do more and more digitally, privacy now is an, is an area of concern. And how do we, you know, at the end of the day, the ownership of that data needs to be with the individual, probably to some degree more so than it is with the government. And then lastly, really is about, um, we got a, um, a legacy modernization effort that needs to get underway. Um, and so really, uh, I'll call that, uh, I don't wanna call it the push to the cloud, but that's kind of in the direction we're going is a push to the cloud to go ahead and get some resiliency and modernization efforts underway that kind of tie all this together to support, if you will, the digital transformation that needs to occur in the state. Jim Weaver, Chief Information Officer for the state of North Carolina. You can read more about him and broadband at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. The Priorities Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't already, please leave a review or a rating on the podcast page. Those make it more likely that more people find the show. This podcast is a production of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carla Fisher help put it together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.